some of the best advice I got when I was considering my birth plan and even my feeding journey was she said, think of it as a wish list, not a plan, because sometimes things don't go according to plan. And if you don't have a backup that you're okay with, then in the end, it's really just going to end up making you stressed or unhappy or um, you know, struggle with those types of emotions or guilt when you've got enough going on, so you don't need that extra <laughs> burden. Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Maria. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy and through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the answers to the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. And welcome to the show. Hey, Maria. Hey, Shelly. School's coming to an end. Thank goodness. <laughs> this has been a rough year. Mm-hmm. Yep. I still have one kid in school. He'll be out Friday. Yeah. Morgan had a half day today and she is super excited. And, and what is she doing in the summer? She has four different summer camps that she's attending. <laughs> Um, but it's exciting because one of them is an away camp and that will be her first away camp, which is oh, super, nice. yeah, she's su- super, super excited about that. Um, it's funny cause my brother asked, are, how do you feel about that? I was like, no, I'm not sure I'm a hundred percent ready for it, but she is very ready for it. And I, I kind of try to let her. be ready in her own time and not hold her back just because I'm not ready. (laughs) And listen, if you need someone to bring you over some wine and sit with you at night when the house is too quiet. Right. Like it's (laughs) going to be, it's not like it's full seven days. I think it's like six days or something Mm -hmm. like that. Or like we check in Sunday afternoon and then Mm -hmm. she's there through Friday. Um, but like that's five days, five whole days. What am I going to do with myself? What am I going to do with myself? Knowing you, you're going to do chores and errands. And Probably. <laughs> I'm trying not to be that way though. Like I've, okay, I've I'm going like, to like enlist myself to come over and make sure you have some fun <laughs> during that week. Oh I've been like trying to find workshops to attend or something. <laughs> oh, take a knife throwing class. A knife throwing class? Why not? Okay. Axe Isn't that so fun? Yeah, axe throwing, yeah. knife throwing, whatever. We could do that. That's fun. <laughs> like, like, why is my friend so weird? <laughs> no, no. I, that was reminding me of like a video I watched of, of somebody getting all of their aggression out with the axe and they would like yell something different every time they threw <laughs> the axe. And I was like, you know, that's kind of brilliant. I want to do that. Yeah. Oh, period. It's toss. Right? <laughs> Screw the patriarchy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Into all those things. All right. So we'll set that up. Okay. Perfect. You're not going to be able to get rid of me that week. (laughs) That's fine. It's fine. I've had, I've had a number of other people make suggestions and say, I'm going to take you out. I'm like, okay, great. But somebody has got to make sure I don't just do chores and run errands. (laughs) (laughs) Scrub my house. Something. Mm -hmm. This week, we're talking with Lauren Berg, and she is sharing her breastfeeding experience. 
So another personal breastfeeding story. She worked through um, lip and tongue tie, mastitis, DMER, and supply issues. Oh, DMER is the worst. I know. It's and it's so uncommon that there's not not a lot of information about it. I know. Not too much. That's like the cruelest trick of nature. Mm-hmm. I saw this article. This is really interesting. It said the world's first childbirth following a uterus transplantation achieved so solely by robot assisted surgery. And that's quite the headline. Huh. There's, a, there's a lot in that headline. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Yeah. A child has been born following a uterus transplantation achieved solely by robot assisted surgery on both donor and recipient. recipient. It was a boy was that so the uterus was transplanted solely by robot is that what they're saying um no it's i think it's the the uterus had already been transplanted so the baby i don't know that's by a robot Okay, okay. No, I'm reading in the article now. It says the robot performed the transplantation of the uterus, but the baby was born or was delivered by an OB through a planned cesarean. Excellent. And the the donor of the uterus was a relative. I mean, what a world, right? (sighs) Yeah, now if we could only solve some more basic things, like maternal mortality rate. Hunger and homelessness. Hunger and homelessness. It's still a cool story. It is a very cool story. Let's. I love it. how we as humanity, though, don't address like the very basic things. Instead, we're like, let's see if we can transplant a uterus and like successfully gestate a baby in it. Well, how much money did they make transplanting the uterus? Right, right. And how much money would they have to spend to feed the homeless? Yeah. Yeah. Capitalism. Yay. Yay. All right. Let's let's be less depressing. We can do <laughs> um, we can do our question of the week. Yes, those are my favorite. Can you explain the term chest feeding? This was submitted through Instagram. Oh, yeah. That's super awesome. Um, Chest feeding is basically a non-binary term for breastfeeding to make it like the most simple explanation possible. So if a transgender parent maybe is uncomfortable with the term breast, um, so like if it's a transgender man and they are uh, going to be the birthing parent, then they may not be comfortable with the term breastfeeding because it body dysmorphia um, and gender dysmorphia. And so it may be more comfortable for them to refer to it as chest feeding instead. It's just another more inclusive term. Sometimes I'll say body feeding, Mm. Um, but yeah, just, just more inclusive language. Yep. So like saying the birthing parent instead of or just the parent. So, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So it's just another way that we let families know that they are safe um, or in a safe place that makes space for them. 
So if you have a question that you want us to answer on the podcast, you can submit it to me on Instagram at ShellyTappedIVCLC. And next up, we will be speaking with Lauren on her breastfeeding journey. Today, we are speaking with Lauren Berg all about her personal breastfeeding journey. Originally from Tennessee, Lauren now lives in Massachusetts with her husband and her baby daughter, Juniper. Juniper was born in July 2022 and has been a bundle of joy and delight since the day she came home from the hospital. Before Juniper was born, Lauren worked in veterinary medicine for eight years, but also has a degree in performing arts and has performed on and off professionally in the area since 2015. These days, when she's not chasing her newly crawling baby, she enjoys being outdoors, reading any historical fiction or fantasy novel she can get her hands on, and forcing her two cats to snuggle with her. Lauren is here to share her feeding journey through painful latch, tongue tie, low milk supply, and DMER. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And you're here to share your personal breastfeeding story. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump into it? Yeah, absolutely. So I was born in Tennessee. So if you hear a little bit of an accent, that's probably why. (laughs) Um, And I met my husband who grew up in Massachusetts in school in South Carolina in college. So we met there and he had a job up here. And so we moved about a month after we got married and have been living here for since 2014. And we just had our first child in July of last year, um, Juniper. And so that's sort of where we are now. Um, And then in the meantime, I was performing as an actor. That's what I studied in college. And uh, I was working professionally in South Carolina where we met for a while. And then when we moved up here, there wasn't quite as much work available for me in this area. So I got into veterinary medicine and was working as a veterinary technician and receptionist for about six years, I think six or seven. And um, up until uh, last year when I ended up just working from home and doing some work from our church so I could stay home with our daughter. So, Oh, I'm so glad you had that that option of staying home with yeah. Jennifer. Yeah, it was it was a little bit of an option and a little bit of a necessity uh, just because the cost of daycare wasn't worth my current paycheck at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, we just decided that for now, that was going to be what was best for us. So, But uh, we are very blessed. And my husband only works about five minutes from home. So he's able to come home occasionally during the day. And so we're oh, able nice. to be really present. So we're, we're really thankful for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like you went from acting to veterinary. <laughs> they don't really have anything to do. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I always tell people animals and the stage, they're both kind of unpredictable, changes every day. <laughs> so <laughs> some actors are crazy, some dogs and cats are crazy. So <laughs> it's always changing. <laughs> yeah. And now you have a crazy baby. <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> That's always changing. Yes, I certainly do have a crazy baby. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Juniper. Oh, she is so much fun. People ask all the time, which I never like the question, um, is she a good baby? Because I feel like that implies there can be bad babies. <laughs> but, no such thing as a bad baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when people ask that, I say, well, she's a really happy baby because I know what they're asking. And 
I think they're asking if she's easy, um, which again, who defines that? But uh, she is really happy and so much fun. She has so much energy. Uh, she's all over the place. And she started crawling about two months ago. And it has, yes, it has been just <laughs> insane <laughs> since then. Um, it's so much fun to see her learn. She's already like, I think she's going to be probably walking in the next month or two because she's just like so ready to go all the time. And um, we can't hardly keep up with her, but she's so much fun. She has so much personality. Um, I always tell people she has no chill. Um, <laughs> Who does she get that from? Um, my husband. <laughs> <laughs> she gets her, she gets her wit and charm from me, I guess. But <laughs> no, when I, my mom tells me all the time, she's like, I, you were not like this as a baby. And my mother-in-law tells me all the time, she is just like Trevor. My husband's <laughs> name is Trevor. And he was like insane, crazy baby too. I guess trying to crawl all over things and climb stuff when he was a toddler. So I'm sure we have that in store. So. <laughs> and how many months is she now? She is 10 months. She's about 10 oh and a half. Gosh. So yeah. How did that happen? I, I, you are. I blinked. <laughs> I That's know, it. right? I just... I know it is wild. The time passes so quickly. People would say to us all the time, especially when she was first born, um, the days are long, but the years are short. And I feel like it's so true. She's not even a year old yet. And I just feel like she just got here and she's already so big and learning so much and learning so fast. It's crazy. I mean, they're cliches because they're true, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's so true. So tell us a little bit about like how the pregnancy went how you made your decision on how to feed her and why you decided what you decided. Yeah, absolutely. So my pregnancy went really well overall. I loved being pregnant. I felt like my body was just thriving. Um, I was really comfortable. I really enjoyed being pregnant. And thankfully, the beginning you know, was rough. I was really sick, like a lot of people are. But once that passed, I felt really good. Most, Pretty much my whole pregnancy. I did get diagnosed with gestational diabetes uh, when yeah, I got to that point. And I was actually so shocked when I heard that because I felt great. And I actually had an aversion to sweets most of my pregnancy. So I wasn't even eating, you know, quote unquote, bad foods or anything. I was, I felt really good. I was exercising. Um, I had more energy. So I was doing more and really intentional about my um, like nutrition and stuff. So I was so frustrated to hear that I had gestational diabetes. And so I do like a lot of learning and reflecting in the beginning to learn that it's really nothing that you're doing and it's really out of your control. And that was hard for me to accept in the beginning because I felt like I had done something wrong. And it wasn't until I got more education from the person, you know, my doctor and everything that it, what it was and sort of kind of accepting that and learning about it. And in the end, I was almost thankful that I had to do that because I, it just, again, made me really conscious of taking care of my body while I was pregnant. And towards the end too, I had, I just was very thankful of like the the choices it sort of forced me to make. Um, And my body felt good. And I think that that actually helped me get there, uh, gave me more motivation. And so when I had her and before I had her, I just assumed that I would breastfeed. I wanted to breastfeed. I was really interested in it. I thought it was an amazing thing to do. I was so fascinated by the physiological like aspects of being able to 
to breastfeed. Um, and I was really excited to do that. And I knew that it was possible that there would be challenges and difficulties and that it wouldn't work out perfectly. But I think until you go through it, you just don't understand all the nuances of it and all of the things that can be challenging about it. And so when we got to that point, I thought I was prepared. I thought I was educated enough to be prepared for all scenarios. And then when she was born and it didn't go perfectly, I don't know if it was just being so exhausted and also so happy that she was here. And it's like all of the things that I thought that I was prepared for just flew out of my head. And so when we started having challenges, I felt like at a loss. Um, Her birth went really well, uh, but it was unexpected because I went in for a doctor's appointment at about, I think I was 37 weeks. And they, for the first time, my blood pressure was pretty high. So they sent me over to the hospital and it was unexpected. And my husband happened to go with me to that appointment, which he usually didn't because it was the first time they allowed partners to go. And he happened to be with me and they were like, so your blood pressure is kind of high. We're just going to send you over to the hospital. Uh, They might send you home, but they're probably going to want to induce you. And that was like my worst fear. So I was not happy about the idea. And when we got there, my actual OB who had been working with me and had been my gynecologist for years, she was actually on in labor and delivery. So she was there and they did some lab work and they were concerned about preeclampsia. But according to the lab work, I did not have preeclampsia, just some hypertension. And so she said, if you want to go home, you can, but I would recommend starting an induction. I was already dilated a couple centimeters and pretty, I think I was like 80% of face. So I was in a good, I'd been having some really minor contractions um, already. And so they were like, you're in a really good place to start an induction. So if you want, she said, I like to avoid emergencies, then react to them. And even though I had not wanted to do that, I did trust her. um, And we decided to go ahead and pursue that. And it really wasn't uh, a long process, thankfully. They started the induction um, with a Foley balloon around noon that day. And she was born the next day at like two o'clock. So it it went pretty well. And it was... uh, Besides the fact that I had to be induced, the rest of my labor really went the way that I had hoped it would as far as just a positive experience. Um, so I was thankful for that. And But when she was born, she uh, was perfect. But when we tried nursing, she was chomping. And that was sort of what caused or what started the process of the difficulties and challenges. I think there's something to be said for like you said, accepting that there's a lot of things around childbirth and being a parent that you can't control. And for some people, especially like type A people, like I have type A personality, that can be like really, really hard. Um, so it, it maybe it helped you with your breastfeeding journey too, to like have that, that experience of where you had to accept that this was nothing that you did wrong. You know, the gestational diabetes and everything. It wasn't anything that was your fault or anything that you did wrong. It's just something that sometimes happens. Do you feel that that helped? Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of that is my personality too. Um, And sometimes that can be at my detriment, but 
because I'm not a planner, I like to just go with the flow. And sometimes that's not the best thing. But in this case, I really do think it did help me um, sort of having to deal with unexpected things and work through them and accept that, like you said, it's nothing that I personally did or caused. Sometimes that's just how things work. And trying to find the good in the situation or um, focusing on like the support that I had and being thankful for the options that I did have in front of me helped me work through the frustrations of it not working out perfectly how I had imagined. So it, it was really helpful. And I remember too, I had a friend that some of the best advice I got when I was considering my birth plan and even my feeding journey um, was she said, think of it as a wish list, not a plan, because sometimes things don't go according to plan. And if you don't have a backup that you're okay with, then in the end, it's really just going to end up making you stressed or unhappy or um, you know, struggle with those types of emotions or guilt when you've got enough going on. So you don't need that extra <laughs> burden. Um, and I really kept kind of focusing on that. Like this is, you know, I had some ideas of how I wanted things to go, but when it didn't work perfectly, I just had to think like, okay, well, this isn't how I envisioned it, but this is what we have. So we have to focus on, not that it wasn't hard. I don't say that like I had, <laughs> like it was easy. And when things did go not according to how I hoped they would. I didn't struggle. I mean, I had, it, it was a real struggle for a several months, especially with feeding, trying to navigate what would work for us and what wasn't working. And at what point it was time to sort of try and uh, redirect or find a new option or, uh, you know, consider what was worth it for us and what was, what we needed to kind of move on from. Yeah. And and taking a step back for a second, during your pregnancy, were there any classes or books or articles or blogs or anything around infant feeding that you found super helpful that you did or, or even not helpful? Like how, what did you do during your pregnancy to prepare? If anything, because a lot of people don't and that's okay too. Um, but if you did do anything like what was helpful and what was not? Yeah, I, so I, didn't have any books that I asked around for some book suggestions. And I guess it, books aren't quite as popular for people to reference as they used to be. But for me, I was able to find a couple of specific content creators and who were working specifically around lactation or breastfeeding or just feeding in general. And I got some suggestions from other mom friends. And I found a lot of those really helpful and really educational. Yours was one of them from someone who, a friend of mine who worked with you when she had her children. And so I had was following some TikToks and Instagram accounts that I found really helpful. And then sometimes that would be the starting point for me to do further research and look into things. Um, so there were a couple of accounts that I paid a lot of attention to and, and read. And what experiences did you hear about from friends and family that you knew who were breastfeeding or had breastfed? I heard some varying experiences, but honestly, I think the thing that surprised me the most when I was going through it myself was how much people don't say and how much people don't tell you. I had heard bits and pieces from people. Honestly, several of the people around me had really positive experiences and did not um, really struggle long-term, at least the ones that I saw around me from, from what I could tell and what I could see. 
And it really wasn't until after I had her and we were having issues and that I was talking to some friends that they shared with me, oh yeah, we struggled with a similar situation or we had we had difficulties in this area as well. And I had had no idea when they were actually going through it because I think I think it's really difficult to understand until you experience it. But I also think that people talk about it often enough. And there are probably a lot of reasons for that. It's it's difficult to talk about. There's still so much shame and guilt surrounding feeling like you're failing or if you choose, you know, the idea of breast is best. And I know there were times too that I felt almost embarrassed to talk to certain people about that I was struggling or, you know, we did end up supplementing and combo feeding. And sometimes I felt bad telling that to certain people because I knew that they had exclusively breastfed their whole, like all their children. And so me trying to talk about it, I almost felt like, well, you know, we had to, like, I had to explain our situation as if there needed to be a reason why we would choose to do that, you know, instead of just choosing to do it because it was the best option. So I I found that while certain people did share with me certain tips or tricks or suggestions, it wasn't until I felt like I was in the thick of it and I was telling them, this has been so difficult or this has been really hard or we're really struggling with this. And I was very like bare about the situation that they would reciprocate. And then there's been a lot of open conversation, but ahead of time, it was hard to, to get those conversations with people. But now I find myself, I have a couple people in my life who are pregnant um, in the middle or early on in their pregnancy. And when I talk to them or I want to share with them, it's difficult to do that because in some ways you don't want to give people your baggage or make them nervous or afraid or give them undue anxiety over something that they have no control over yet or no uh, experience in yet because I haven't gotten to that point. But at the same time, it's like, I want to tell you all the things so that you can be as prepared as possible and you don't have to go through what I did. And I think I think one of the biggest things that I, I've come back to with people is get an appointment with a lactation consultant before your baby is born. <laughs> but it, it's, it's, it's challenging to have those conversations ahead of time with people because there is so much nuance to it. It's so difficult to describe exactly what you go through to someone who has not moved into that space in their life yet. Um, I mean, even just everything about having a baby, it's like you just, you can try to be as prepared as possible, but until it happens, it's really difficult to fully grasp, you know. Right. Like even a breastfeeding parent who, you know, has never dealt with low milk supply is not going to understand what it's like having low milk supplies. So they may think they understand that breastfeeding is hard, but if they're not dealing with the same issues that you are dealing with, that can be difficult to, to translate and to, um, to recognize just like in any area of life, right? Like you don't know until you know. Yeah, exactly. I, I had, and to a couple of the things that I experienced, the people closest to me that would probably feel the most open to discussing that kind of thing. They, didn't always struggle with the exact same thing. And, and there's there's really not a ton of education around breastfeeding, lactation, all the things that you can experience, uh, not just challenges. I think most people know about mastitis. Most people know, they understand the concept of like low milk supply or whatever, but things like DMER or um, like certain 
certain uh, aspects of mastitis or, you know, just step. I I actually also got, uh, I'm going to make sure I say this right. Ductal ectasia. So I had an enlarged milk duct that was also contributing to the problem. And that was something else I kept finding myself when my friends would say, how's, how are things going? What's going on? And I'd say, well, I just found out about this or just learned about this. And that's probably contributing to like, I don't even know what that is. And, and I was learning too. I mean, trying to figure out what was going on and why I was experiencing certain things. It, it were I hadn't seen a lot about it and I had to search it out. And again, it's like, go back to people who are pregnant if they hope to breastfeed. There's so much to learn about it that you don't get from just like the basic understanding that we all have from like health class. <laughs> right. And most of the time that basic understanding is like the the benefits of breastfeeding, I guess, like how benefit, how like quote unquote, why people should breastfeed if they want to breastfeed and not so much on the logistics. Like, yeah, you could go to the breastfeeding class and you can practice latching with the doll and you can learn about like supply and demand and how many diapers to look for. Um, and how to get help. But it again, like just the basics and most of that information you're not going to retain, even if you didn't have a pregnancy brain, but add on top of that, the pregnancy brain, and then your baby's born and it's not like latching a doll at all. 100% not. So then you're like, okay, well now I don't really know what to do. And there is this like this perception in our culture. I think sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes people get so caught up in that breast is best thing and breastfeeding is natural that people just think it happens naturally. Like baby just comes out and jumps on the breast and it doesn't for a lot of families. It doesn't happen like that. Yeah. It's the most unnatural, natural thing. I think, I mean, it's like, oh, our bodies are made to do this, but also nobody can figure it out right away. Yeah. And there's that instinct there, you know, from the babies and which thank goodness for that, or I don't even know how <laughs> how people would manage it. But yeah, it is, it's so much more difficult than people think. And so for us, I just to quickly recap like everything that we did. So she her instinct was to chomp. And mm. so yeah, let's definitely go. So the first latch, she was very chompy. Yeah, so very chompy and kind of like weak. She had a weak sort of quivery. And the lactation um, people at the hospital very quickly gave me a nipple shield uh, pretty much right away. That was the first sort of um, solution offered. There was one who, uh, and because of when my baby was born or, or the timing, they had a lot of traffic going on at the hospital. And so we actually weren't able to get a lactation consultant to come see us until about an hour before we were leaving. We'd actually already been discharged, but the nurses who were really great and amazing were like, don't leave until they're able to come. Every day they were asking me, have they not come yet? Have they not come yet? Because I think they were just inundated at the time. And so they were able to come see us. And we left like after she was done, we left the hospital. So there was a little bit of stress already from the beginning because I was sort of waiting for that assistance and it just took a while to get it. And they, they, she gave me a nipple shield. She was very kind. She was very encouraging. I asked about, um, any tongue ties because I had known from friends that that was something to watch for. And she couldn't really give me an answer about it. She sort of said, 
I, I don't even remember exactly what she said, but it wasn't really an answer. And I remember just being like, okay. And then, um, she, you know, she tried to work with me and she was able to identify that there was like some weakness in her jaw and that kind of thing. And that she was doing a chomping motion and she gave me a nipple shield. And then we left and she had already lost quite a bit of weight. She was small when she was born. Um, she was six pounds, five ounces. And the next day she was born on a Tuesday, we were discharged from the hospital on Thursday. And so on Friday morning, they had our pediatrician appointment and she was down to, I can't remember what her weight was, but they said she had lost too much weight and they wanted us to supplement. And I remember I just like broke down into tears because you're so exhausted and you're dealing with this roller coaster of hormone emotions. And I knew that I was having trouble already and I just could not recall any of the things that I had read to try to prepare. And so when they said, we think you need a supplement, and they sent us home with formula, I felt so defeated because I just felt like right away we were having problems and I didn't really know how to fix it. And I was just so worried about her because she was pretty jaundiced as well. And so that's when we started supplementing. And also throughout this, my milk took about six days to come in. So I also felt really stressed over not having milk yet. And I also did not have a pump because the one that I had chosen through my insurance was out of stock or something at the hospital. So they had to order it for me. So it took like two weeks to come in. So I also didn't have a pump. I did. Oh, I had one of those wearable pumps, which just don't cut it. So <laughs> especially in the beginning. That's like a whole new podcast episode. Yeah, right. I'm sure. <laughs> I've already ditched that thing. Um, but so it was just in the beginning, it was a little bit of an immediate sort of struggle and feeling like I my body was failing me. And so we, you know, we started supplementing and she did eventually start to gain weight back. We were at the pediatrician every day for a week. And she was one day away from having to go back into the hospital to be under the lights. She got down to five pounds, 11 ounces. And they said, if tomorrow when you come in, if it hasn't, her bilirubin levels haven't improved, we we need to admit her. And thankfully, they had improved literally to the number, the minimal number that they wanted. So she didn't have to be readmitted. But uh, it was it was tough in the beginning. And then once my milk did come in, um, I still didn't have my pump for a while. And because of her chomping and that kind of thing, she wasn't able to empty me effectively um, or efficiently. And she struggled to latch. And after a while, she didn't even want to because she wanted the bottle. It was easier for her. And um, because of that jaw weakness, she could do the bottles, but she wasn't really getting much from me. So I was, I, I was able to start pumping once my pump came in. And we pretty quickly, I think that was around the time that I had my appointment with you, actually. She was maybe a month or old or so. We were somewhere in there. Um, I can't remember exactly, but that's when we had our appointment and we started trying to investigate the ties for her. And I think she was around two months when we were able to get an appointment with a pediatric dentist who released the ties and it made an immediate difference, which was great. Um, but it's she, after a few days, she started sort of regressing back to the chomping and it took a while to get to where she wasn't doing that chomping motion, like primarily. And in the midst of that, I struggled with supply. I struggled with 
the DMER, uh, I was getting every time I would try to pump or nurse her, but mostly I was pumping because she didn't want to nurse for a while. I was getting like waves of the best way I know how to describe it would be like sort of a sad, nostalgic feeling and um, like almost like a feeling of grief. And so that, and that was really weird for me, along with some nausea. And the chocolate helped a lot. You recommended I eat some chocolate when I go to pump, like before, which that helped with the nausea and that did eventually go away. But the, the feeling of sort of like grief or nostalgia, like sad, sadness about time passing or something, it's really difficult to describe. Uh, that took a, a while to sort of fade. And thankfully, it's not something I experience anymore. But that was difficult. And trying to learn about that and why that might be happening and that kind of thing was was very interesting, but difficult, you know, and just another way that I felt sort of isolated in that because none of my friends had experienced that. So it, I felt like really strange. Yeah, it was it was like a weird thing. And um, so then that and I also had mastitis a couple of times. I found out that I had this enlarged duct, which felt like a large, hard lump for a long time. I couldn't express it, couldn't do anything about it. I kept getting the runaround from my doctor's office and different people that I would be referred to or different locations that I'd be referred to for evaluation. Um, They kept saying, I think we, I ended up trying to call like three different places and I would explain what's going on. And one said they couldn't see me because my insurance, they didn't take my insurance. One said, well, we don't really do that kind of thing. And then uh, my doctor's office was like, well, we're pretty sure that it's an enlarged duct. So it's not really much to do about it. And that was that was frustrating to go through because I felt like nobody wanted to help me. I was worried. I had a large lump in my breast <laughs> and we thought that it was this, but we didn't know for sure yet. And so that was that was very frustrating and almost scary because again, you know, you Google things and it just takes you down the worst rabbit hole trying to figure yeah. out. <laughs> Doctor Google is a uh, yeah. <laughs> just don't. One of my doctors was like, "Stop googling things." So I was like, "Okay." <laughs> I've been told that by doctors before. <laughs> yeah, and and then I got like this really bad rash on my breasts, which again, don't Google rash on your breasts. Um, basically, everything is cancer. So that that was that was so frustrating to deal with and finally figured that out. And, but it was, I just felt like at every turn I had to fight for answers or help for every little thing was when it came to um, like medical profession professionals. And I had one appointment with my doctor that I, my husband actually called, I was having a really difficult time and probably my lowest point, I think Juniper was maybe three or four months old. And I just was having such pain every time I tried to latch her. I couldn't hardly take it. And I tried to latch her and I was at work because I was able to bring, when I was still working, I was able to bring her with me, which was great. But I was there and I I worked in the same place as my husband and I tried to latch her to feed her and it hurt so bad. I practically like ripped her off of me and she was crying. She was hungry and that was startling. And then I just started crying and was just, I'm so sorry. I just kept apologizing to her. Just like, I'd want to feed you. I'm so sorry. And I had left the formula at home. So I didn't have anything in the moment and I just like broke down. And thankfully my husband was there and he was extremely supportive throughout this whole process, um, which I was so thankful to have that uh, support system at home. And I was able to get home so I could feed her and, and get a bottle. But I remember thinking like this, 
this is my low point. And my husband ended up calling my doctor's office the next day being like, can you please, what, what's what's the deal? Like, can we please do something to help her? Because I had been trying to get an appointment and kind of getting shrugged off. And so they called me to come in the next day and I had a long talk with my doctor. And this is actually a different doctor than the one that delivered my baby. Um, but I had a long talk with her and she was very kind. But in the end, she told me that she wasn't really sure what to do to help me, but it sounded like I probably just needed to wean. And maybe it was, you know, I don't have to breastfeed and I don't, you know, I shouldn't feel pressured to do that. And, you know, she's going to be starting solid soon. So maybe this was just a good time to wean. And I understood where she was coming from. And if I had felt that that was the best decision for us, I, there would have been nothing wrong with that. And and I and I did consider maybe that this is time for it. Maybe it has become, it's not worth it. Like for my mental health and for our relationship, like with my baby, maybe it is time for that. But at the same time, I was so frustrated because I just felt like they wanted to tell me what the easiest thing would be from their perspective, not let's find answers. If this is what you want and this is what you want to do, let's try to find answers for you. It was just sort of like, you know, it doesn't seem to be working. So maybe you should just quit. And again, there's nothing wrong with quitting and there's nothing wrong with, I don't even like to say quit. There's nothing wrong with ending breastfeeding. There's nothing wrong with that. And I considered it many times, but there was still a part of me that really wanted to figure out I wanted to just figure out the issues and so that I could understand them and then make a decision. And I felt like I didn't have an understanding or answers about what I was experiencing from a medical side. And so I couldn't make a good decision that I was going to have peace with. I knew that she was going to be okay. I didn't have, I didn't feel outside pressure at that point to continue breastfeeding or to stop and do formula. It was more about me having an understanding of what was happening to my body and making an informed decision that I was going to be able to have peace with. Because I knew that if I just stopped because nobody could help me and it just was what it was, then I would struggle with feeling like if I had just found help or if I had just found the answer to, or just the right tip, maybe we would have had a turning point. Right. Exactly. Sounds like. Yes. And this is a conversation that I have had with a lot of colleagues and I, of what you were saying, like you were only presented with one option and the only option you were presented with was to wean, which again, like that's the right option for many people. But I feel like there's no more curiosity in the medical fields in a lot of ways, like no one is interested in finding out why. And people are just like, well, you know, that, that just happens. And, and they say that about moms and babies. Like I've heard pediatricians say, well, some babies just aren't meant to breastfeed. And for me, it's like, um, you know, if you took your three-year-old to the pediatrician and said, my, my kid can't walk, they wouldn't say that's okay. We have wheelchairs. Yeah, exactly. They would try to figure out why, but if you take your baby to the pediatrician and say, my baby can't breastfeed, Oh, well, you know, we have bottles and and it's just, it's important. Even if you feel like breastfeeding is not working out for you and you, and you want to wean, that's great. Like you should wean, but switching to bottle feeding in so many ways just kind of sweeps the issues under the rug instead of addressing them. Mm -hmm. Especially when it's not what you want to do. it, It can feel, I mean, even though I continue to breastfeed her and 
we are still breastfeeding, um, we're sub, we're combo feeding. There's still this sense of when you don't understand why it's happening, if it's something that you want and you can't get there and you don't know why, and you can't see why it, it just adds to that feeling of isolation or failure or guilt. And that is already such a struggle when you're a new mother or a new parent and you are trying to navigate all of these new things and these new feelings and these new experiences and you don't know exactly what to do all the time. And then on top of having something so connected to, so physical, physically connected to yourself that you can't figure out. You know, it's one thing if it's like, okay, well, I can't figure out, you know, something that is outside of my control or you can't, which this can be outside of your control, but um, outside of yourself and you just have to find other options or move on. But when it's something that's connected so physically to you and to your feelings and what you are living and experiencing physically, then it can be even more difficult and even more isolating if you feel like you have no understanding of what's going on with your body or why you can't figure this out. Or Right. Or even how it might impact your body in other ways outside of breastfeeding. Which I think, and and we see that a lot with like low milk supply, which I get really infuriated at where it's like, okay, someone's having low milk supply and we don't know why. And I think sometimes it's worth trying to find out because if it's a thyroid issue, you kind of want to know that, right? You want to know if your thyroid's off or, you know, all the other things that could happen that could cause low milk supply. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we went through all of this and somewhere around her six month mark, I was I was at that point, I was just taking a week to week. And and anytime someone would check in with me, I would say, yeah, still doing it for now. Maybe we won't be next week because it was just constantly changing up and down. She's the tie release really helped, but she still would occasionally, not occasionally, I'd say about 70% of the time, really chompy. And I was still experiencing a lot of discomfort, supply issues. I had mastitis a few times that time that I was in such pain. I was crying like that low point. I found out I had mastitis. <laughs> and so I was able to address it and it got, you know, it helped a lot. But uh, sometime around her six month mark, it was like it finally clicked more. I don't want to say it totally was perfect and fine because it wasn't. And it's still, we still have challenges, but it got to a point where I think both of us sort of figured out what worked for us. And so it, it, it got much better to a point where I was almost exclusively nursing or pumping. Uh, we felt like bottles worked really well for the nighttime because it was easier for me to sleep and my husband could participate in feeding and uh, our parents could feed her and things like that. So we, we liked sticking with that. But I was almost exclusively nursing and pumping. And what was funny about that is I got to this place where I was like, okay, finally, I'm closer to where I always wanted to be. And then it was really difficult. <laughs> oh, no. Well, feeding someone from your own body exclusively mm. is, I, mm. I mean, I just think, I just think mothers or people who feed their babies in any capacity are amazing because you're sustaining life for another human. And 
but with feeding someone from your own body, it is it that is hard in of itself. And when I got to that point where I was almost able to exclusively do that, I was like, wait, do I want this? <laughs> because this is a lot of work <laughs> and a lot of time spent, you know, pumping or nursing her. And you really have to. We got to the point where I wouldn't take formula with me when I left the house. And then sometimes I'd be like, man, if I had just had a bottle, this would be a little bit <laughs> easier in this particular circumstance. Um, so that was kind of funny. And then uh we had about two months of that where things were pretty, pretty um, going pretty well for us. And I got hit with a really bad GI bug that went around uh, early spring. I'm sure a lot of people got that. And my supply really dropped from that. And when it came time where I was better and I was like, okay, so I can try to work on regaining the supply going back to uh, trying to get back to where we were. I just... I never like pursued it really hard. And I just felt like, you know what? I'm actually comfortable where we are. We're about 50-50 combo feeding and I'm okay with that. And I felt like at that point, I'd come to a place where I didn't want to push super hard, push myself, push my body uh, just for the (laughs) idea of something. So I was able to just be like, you know what? I'm comfortable where we are. She uh, does really well with formula. And that was another thing I... We're thankful she um, tolerates formula really well. So we never had to pursue a specialized formula for her. Um, and we're like, you know what? We're just going to focus on the things that work for us. And right now that is about a 50-50 combo feeding. And I'm still pumping uh, here and there. But for the most part, I nurse her on demand. And then we do bottles for her big oh, sort of meals. That. And it's yeah. going well. And we're all happy and sane. So... And she's thriving. So we're happy with that. And I'm just proud that we were able to get to this point, not because I'm still breastfeeding, although I am proud to say that I was able to continue doing it. But my main source of pride just comes from the fact that we're all happy and healthy (laughs) in that journey. And because Mm -hmm. that was that was the biggest accomplishment in my mind is that we sort of made it through together and were able to figure out what worked best for us and Mm -hmm. be happy and have peace about it. (laughs) I love that for you. I really do. <laughs> That's so nice. And and I see all the time, like, what good is breast milk if the parent can't function? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Like breast milk should not be valued above everything else, especially mental health. Oh, definitely. And that was something my husband would always sort of check in with me about. And he he would come to me when we would have discussions, he would see me really struggling and he would say, I'm not going to tell you what to do. And I'm not even going to tell you what I personally think is best because I know what what's best for you is going to be what you have peace with. Our daughter is going to be fed either way and she is healthy. And I just want you to be proud of yourself and feel good about where you are and what you're doing so that you can be the best mother that you can be. And he would tell me that he just wanted me to continually be thinking, you know, is this worth it from that perspective? We know that the benefits are great for her and we know that it can be beneficial physically for mom sometimes. But in this case, he was like, I, we know all that, that's fine. But what I want us to keep evaluating is that you are healthy in soul and spirit, <laughs> not just is she getting mm. breast milk, you know? Right. Sounds like a keeper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's pretty great. <laughs> Do you feel like that 
made made or break um do you let me rephrase that do you feel like his support was essential and crucial to how far you got and how successful you were in your in your journey yes definitely and i have so much unending respect for single parents i i i'm just amazed my my mother-in-law was a single mother for a long time and uh well she was a single mother for my husband's whole life and i from the time he was a baby and so i have so much respect for her even more so now that i did before because having that support system and it doesn't always have to be a partner but if it's something that if you're if someone is struggling with that or is going through this time in life where they're having a baby and they're no matter what feeding choice they want to make it's always important to find support around you, whether it is a partner or a friend or people in your community um, or a lactation consultant, um, because it, I feel like that is so essential. I don't feel like we're meant to raise babies or children by ourselves. It's such as we're not. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And even things like feeding can feel so personal because it is, but having that support of other uh, parents who have gone through feeding struggles or feeding choices, not just for education, but for that emotional support is so vital. And having my husband be so involved in that conversation, I was so thankful for um, his not just willingness, but his interest and wanting to be a part of that. It wasn't because I made him or because he felt bad or because he just wanted what was best for our baby, but he knew that it was important to me and he cared about me. So it was something important to him. And then also on a practical side of things, he, I feel like I want to brag on him all the time. And, but he was on top of anything that he could do. He would take on as when it came to feeding stuff, he knew that he obviously couldn't breastfeed her because I was doing that. And that's our situation. But he was like, okay, well, I'll I'll do a bottle whenever you would like me to do a bottle. And he was on top of washing the bottles. He would wash my pump parts. He would make sure that I always had clean pump parts and then we had clean bottles. He was making sure that we had the formula that we needed and he was buying it. And he, you know, if one of us would find like, oh, I think we should try this formula or whatever, he would research that. He had an understanding of it. He was always supportive of when I was struggling. I mean, even in the very beginning when she was first born and we hadn't really gotten into everything yet, he would wake up with me at night when I was still trying to nurse her uh, before supplementing. And even when we did start with bottles and I was feeding her, he would still wake up just to sit with me so that I wasn't sitting alone in the dark struggling. And that was so valuable to my my journey and my mental health like surrounding it was not knowing in theory that I had his support, but that he was physically supporting me in every possible way. So anything he could take off of my mental load, as far as, you know, again, making sure that I always knew that I could go to the cabinet and I would have clean bottles and clean pump parts and I didn't have to physically deal with that um, was that alone was amazing. So partners out there, if you're not the one feeding and you can do that. That's huge. <laughs> yeah. What was, do you have like a favorite? It sounds like maybe um, getting up with you in the middle of the night, but do you have a favorite thing that he, out of all the amazing things he did to support you, which was your favorite? I have a fond memory of him getting up in the night with me and sitting with me, just his presence. That 
as difficult as some of those days were, as exhausted as we were, as emotional as a lot of those times were, I can vividly remember the way it felt to be sitting there, you know, doing the best that I could with feeding her and trying to work through that and just knowing that he was with me and that he, you know, would have his hand on my back or he'd be like trying to rub my back or you know, touch my hair, like stroke my hair, if that was what was calming or whatever, you know, whatever was helpful for me to feel comforted. And especially when I was really having a a night where I was really struggling with what was going on, Um, just his presence, that that's the best thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I can look back on those nights, even though they were difficult, and it certainly strengthened our bond, our relationship and Mm -hmm. kind of added to feeling I'm literally like tearing up oh. <laughs> it just sounds so beautiful I I'm I'm very thankful I'm very thankful mm-hmm. for him that sounds amazing yeah I it is I'm not even sure how to I'm not even sure how to put it in words it's going through a a difficult journey like when you give birth when you're trying to go through this whole process and get used to taking care of this new little life and it has so much beauty in it and so many incredible experiences but it is also can be so challenging in ways that you don't expect because i think some of us don't really know ourselves until you go through such a a difficult or challenging experience. And it's not always negative, but when you're just in those moments of like rawness (laughs) with to have someone there who's going, walking through it with you, even if they're not experiencing it in the same way to, to be in it with someone can make just all the difference in the world. And I would just want to encourage anyone if you didn't have that person who was automatically there, you know, living with you, whether it's a spouse or a partner or whatever, to find someone who can take your hand and walk through it with you because it is it is hard enough on its own to be you know, to be trying to do it on your own is is so challenging. And I have so much respect for people who whose circumstances are beyond their control and that's how they have to go through it, but if you have anyone around you, and I would encourage anyone who's not in that situation, if someone approaches you, just to do all that you can for for people and to try to have that compassion because it is. I feel like I'm sort of losing my way in saying this. <laughs> no, but, like, this is like so beautiful. <laughs> like, like I told, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Like, um, I wish all family members, like all families had the support that you had. Yeah. And that's, that's probably been, that's one of my biggest takeaways where I'm at right now. You know, I still have, she's not one year old yet. I'm still a very new mother. I still have so much to learn. But one of my biggest desires at this stage in my life is that I am trying to figure out ways to just connect with other people who are at this stage of, of parenthood because it it can be so isolating and i want to be able to connect with people and try to be there for others and um it's 
not just provide and to, and to provide whether it's education or like resources. It's it's so funny because I see videos sometimes that are like, oh, uh, new moms, we don't gatekeep. This is how we help each other. <laughs> like, yes, yes, 100%. And um, so I'm really hoping to find more and more ways to try to connect with people and mm. um, situations to to share with others because there are times it's funny. I, like I said, I've got a couple people in my life right now who are pregnant and I'm always so torn between like bombarding them with all the things <laughs> yeah. and being like, you know, they can figure it out. Like they might have different opinions <laughs> or different concerns and I don't want to just information dump on them. But at the same time, mm. you know, you want to, you want to help people and, yeah. and, and do everything that you can. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, you, if you're, if you're a woman or a mom and you're not hyping up other women and moms, then what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> She'll be hyping each other up. And that's really, like you said, we're not meant, I think they've done some studies on um, more traditional societies that show that there's typically um, six adults per kid. Mm. And in the US where, you know, two or less. <laughs> yeah. The six sounds amazing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's just about right. Yeah. That My insane baby needs <laughs> all the help we can get. Uh, what yeah. is your favorite thing about breastfeeding now? You know, it's, I keep joking that she's crazy, but she is so active. She's so busy and she's so curious and kind of adventurous and mm-hmm. like brave and bold. She's always like exploring that when I do get to sit and nurse her, it's like the only time that I get to, unless she's asleep, that I get to really have that physical closeness with her. When she was tiny, obviously, I could hold her and snuggle her as much as I wanted. But as soon as she could move, that is not what she wants to do unless she's sick or about to fall asleep or when we're nursing. And so it is nice to have that time with her that just us and she's focused on being still sort of she's gotten to what do they call it like nurse gymnastics like nurse yes. gymnastics <laughs> she wants to like stand in my lap and like yeah twerk almost <laughs> while she's nursing so <laughs> that's fun um but most of the time she's mm-hmm. calm and she recently started where she like plays with my hair while she's oh, nursing and so well, it's really my son would pick my nose and you get you oh. get you get someone who plays with your hair. She, well, it used to be that she pulled my hair and pinched like my oh, neck no. skin, but <laughs> recently she's chilled out with that a bit and she just plays with my hair a little bit. So it's nice to have that time with her. And I it's not very um efficient for us when she's nursing, but I love trying to make her laugh while she's nursing because mm-hmm. to see her like smile while she's trying to nurse That's is so sweet. Thing ever. <laughs> I, I tried to tell, I told my husband that and he was like, uh, okay. I was like, yeah, <laughs> she's like smiling around my nipple. It's so cute. And he's like, okay. Yeah. You know how you get those images that those memories that are like ingrained in your brain? That, yeah. that's one of mine is like watching my kids nurse while they like giggling and you're like, yeah. you're so cute. Don't bite me though. You're oh so yeah. Cute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, I was so afraid she started getting her teeth um, like around seven months, her bottom teeth. And I was like, well, this is probably going to be it because she tends to chomp and I don't know what her teeth are, how her teeth are going to affect this, but she did okay. And then her top teeth came in. And again, I was like, okay, I think we're done. And, but she's still doing okay. And so now I get the little toothy, grin too. And 
Yeah. I'm like, oh, but please best. don't bite me. <laughs> and I love that that's what you enjoy the most. And I don't, I try not to say this to new parents too often because if someone had said it to me when I was in the trenches of parenting, I probably would have wanted to punch them in the face. Uh. But being not so close to the trenches anymore, and my kids are older, I miss the nighttime feedings. I uh. do because it was just me and the baby. The house was quiet. Oh. The moon would be shining in through the window and I'd rock them in the rocking chair, feed them, and then stay up just a little bit longer holding them while they slept in my arms before I laid them down. And at the time, I didn't appreciate it like I did now. At the time, I was like, this is miserable. I just want to go to sleep. But looking back, it was like, I really miss that. Really miss that. So yes, somebody said to me once, or actually they didn't say it to me, but I I heard in a video, someone said, if one day when you're old and wrinkly and your kids are out of the house and everything is different in your life and someone comes to you and says, we have a time machine that you can use, but you can only go back to one day and we're going to choose it for you. And the day that was chosen was this day, this time right now. And that was the last the time that you got to, you know, hold, you could go back and hold your baby in the same way, like as an infant or as a newborn or whatever, um, you would want to treasure that. And so I think about that all the time when I'm having like rough, especially when I'm having rough nights, you know, the sleeping is difficult. Think about if this was the last, like if I could go back in time, like one day I'll want to go back in time and be in this exact moment, right? as I am, as challenging as it can be, or as as hard and exhausted as I am, this is a moment that I can't get back eventually. And so Mm -hmm. it helps get through those tough, tough nights and tough moments. I love that. And and the thing that I used to think about too, is one day my baby will nurse for the last Mm -hmm. time and I won't know that it's the last time. Because you know, most of the time, when you wean, it's like it just happens. And same thing with with feed night feedings. Mm. One day you will have your very last night feeding with your mm-hmm. baby, and you won't know that it's the last yeah. one. And it's just it's just so bizarre, but in an amazing and magical way. Yeah, I think that's what's so. It sounds so cliche, but it's like you said, cliches are the truth. It's so it's what's so beautiful about life is that things end and things can be so fleeting and uh, that's what makes it so special and I have to treasure it even when it's difficult. But again, if someone had told me that when I was really in the trenches, like you said, I probably would have smacked them. <laughs> like, yeah, like oh, is this beautiful? <laughs> it's so You'll beautiful. Come over here at two a.m. and do it then. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you too can experience this mm-hmm. if you like. Yeah, oh uh, yeah. Well, I really, really, really appreciate you sharing your story. It's it's a beautiful story. And I love that you came to that that balance and that mm. works for you where you're happy feeding her and you get the best of both worlds, right? Yeah. Yeah. I it it get the convenience of uh bottles mm-hmm. and the uh special bond of nursing and all of the challenges and difficulties in between. <laughs> But all the fun stuff too. <laughs> well, you know, I hope when you when you do decide to wean from breastfeeding that you can look back on your journey, you know, with happy with happy feelings and pride 
because you should be proud of yourself. You've been through a lot and you got through it and you found what yeah. works for you. Yeah, I I feel like that now and I am hoping that that'll just continue. Of course, she's, she's doing solids now and mm-hmm. I uh, am going through the whole like, oh, now I'm just your personal chef in <laughs> so more ways than one. So. It never ends. <laughs> But I'm always happy to say that no matter how often she rejects uh, any food that I have painstakingly prepared for her, cut into tiny pieces or made it sure it was in the exact right shape she needs to eat it in, she will always choose nursing (laughs) when I offer. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that should be like a wall decor. She'll always choose nursing. (laughs) Yeah, right. At least she'll take the boobs. <laughs> the boob solves everything. Yeah, right. Well, thank you so much, Lauren, for sharing your story. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I I love, it's funny, I love talking about it, not because it's something so fun to talk about all the time, but I like talking about it because I feel like we need more people to talk about mm-hmm. it. And exactly. it's and it's a beautiful thing, no matter how it goes and mm-hmm. what ends up happening. People, mom should be proud of anything that they accomplish, especially when it comes to survival of another human being that you're responsible for, like their lives. So mm-hmm. that's great. 100%. <laughs> life because of you. Yep. <laughs> so thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaftIBCLC.com, where you can check out more options for support through pregnancy and beyond, including the Baby Pro Bistro, our parenting community. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaftIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes to help our episodes reach more parents like you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.